The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2010 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For other audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. I'd invite you to turn with me, please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let me give a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey to Europe, went to the city of Thessalonica. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, a significant number of people came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But then severe persecution broke out in that city against particularly the Apostle Paul, and it forced him to leave Thessalonica and those young believers there almost to fend for themselves. Sometime after Paul was gone, he wrote to them a letter. And that letter is in our Bible, and that is the book of 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul uh, talked to the people about an event that will impact every born-again Christian, the event that we've come to call the rapture of the church, where he talked about how Jesus would come out of heaven, down toward planet Earth, and all the church saints, those who died uh, before the rapture or those who are alive at the rapture, all of them would be uh, brought, the resurrected ones would be brought up to life, and the ones living Together, they'd be caught up to meet the Lord Jesus in the air, and then they would go with him back to the Father's house in heaven. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Once the church saints meet Jesus in the air at the rapture, from that time on, wherever Jesus goes, they go with him. Then in chapter 5 of that letter, the Apostle Paul changed the subject from the rapture of the church to the future day of the Lord. And the first stage of the future day of the Lord is a stage when God's wrath will be poured out upon the unsaved people here upon planet Earth. And interestingly, in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, Paul made it very uh, clear to the Thessalonian Christians that God has not appointed us as believers in Jesus Christ to wrath. The implication being that the rapture would remove the Christians from the world before the future day of the Lord would begin and God's wrath be poured out here upon planet Earth. Well, sometime after they received that letter and that sound instruction from the Apostle Paul, apparently some false teachers came to them and taught them some things that greatly troubled and disturbed the Thessalonian Christians. And the Apostle Paul heard about that And so in response to that disturbance, he writes to them a second epistle and specifically zeroes in on the problem in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so let's take a look at at this, if we can, at this particular time. The first thing Paul does in verse 1 of chapter 2 is he makes an earnest request to the believers. He says, now we beseech you, brethren, beseech you, brethren that we're going to see later on, it's a very earnest request that he's making to them. What was the purpose of the request? Look, if you would, please, further in verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Interestingly, Paul is saying the purpose of this request is to protect and defend the truth 
they had written to them in 1 Thessalonians that the church saints would be removed from the earth by rapture before the future day of the Lord's wrath would be poured out upon planet earth. Interestingly, the the Greek preposition that's translated by in verse 1, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that Greek preposition carried with it the idea of protection or defense. And so therefore what he's saying is, I'm writing to you to protect and defend the truth that I wrote to you in my first epistle about the rapture of the church and your relationship to that future day of the Lord when God's wrath would be poured out upon planet Earth. And the Greek construction of a statement indicates that the coming of Christ and the gathering of the believers together to be with the Lord Jesus are two different parts of one great event, one great event. And again, that event is the rapture of the church. First, Christ comes out of heaven. And then the church saints are caught up to meet him in the air. Two different aspects are part of this one great event that we come to call the rapture, come to call the rapture. Interestingly, when you look at this, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, that's parallel to a promise that Jesus gave to the apostles in the upper room the night before he went to the cross, John 14, verses 2 and 3, where Jesus said to the apostles, in my Father's house are many mansions, literally dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The idea in the mansions, the Father's house in heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Notice Paul's talking here in 2 Thessalonians 2 about Jesus coming and the church says being gathered together unto him. That's parallel to what Jesus was promised in John 14. And then it's parallel again to what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Jesus will come out of heaven. He'll bring with him the souls and spirits of the Christians who have already died. And as he's descending toward the earth, but doesn't come the whole way down, he stops in the air, he resurrects the bodies of those dead Christians, reunites their resurrection bodies with their returning souls and spirits. Then he transforms the living Christians from a mortal body to an immortal which will not die, and together they're caught up to meet Jesus in the air. So what he's talking about here in chapter 2, verse 1 of Thessalonians, about the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him, he's talking about the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church. When the church saints, Jesus comes out of heaven, he gathers up his church saints to himself there in the air, then to be with him from that time on forever. Now, the content of his request. He's making this request to them concerning what he had taught them before about the rapture of the church. The content of the request, look at verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Now what he's requesting to them is this. Don't be so quickly shaken in your mind that you lose your ability to determine whether reports that you've been told are right or wrong. Again, don't be so quickly shaken 
in your mind that you lose your ability to determine reports that false teachers have given you, whether they are right or whether they are wrong. And the word translated troubled indicates that some of these believers, as a result of what the false teachers had said to them, had fallen into a state of alarm and nervous anxiety. Whatever the false teachers said to them threatened these believers. And they became extremely anxious and turmoil inside. And so Paul is writing here to deal with this issue, to deal with this issue. And so the next thing we look at here is the cause of the disturbance. What was it that caused them to be so shaken and so anxious and nervous about what they had heard? Well, the Thessalonians had received reports to the effect from false teachers that the day of the Lord that Paul had written about in 1 Thessalonians 5 when God's wrath would be poured out upon planet earth, the false teachers had told these Thessalonian Christians that the day of the Lord has already come and you as Christians are in it. You as Christians are in it. That was completely contrary to what Paul had indicated to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5 that you'd be, re- you'd be removed from the earth by rapture before the day of the Lord begins. And the day of the Lord in its first phase is when God's wrath is poured out upon the unsaved upon planet earth. And he said to them in chapter 5, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians, God has not appointed us unto wrath, the day of the Lord wrath. And so these false teachers had said to them, do you know that the future day of the Lord, the day of the Lord when God's wrath is poured out is already here? And you believers are in it. And that's what disturbed them, because that was completely contrary to what Paul had indicated to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 would be the truth. Now, some of our translations say, the end of verse 2, that the day of Christ is at hand. But let me tell you what the Greek text literally says. That the day of the Lord has come. That the day of the Lord has come. And the tense of the verb... Uh, that, that in some of our translations say is at hand, is the Greek perfect tense. And the Greek perfect tense of a verb always talks about something that started in the past, but it continues up to the present. And so what the false teachers had been saying to the Thessalonian Christians was this. Do you realize that the day of the Lord, when God's wrath is poured out upon planet Earth, is already here? It's already started. And you're in it right now. And the implication is, you're going to be exposed to God's wrath being poured out upon you. And that's what shook them up so much about this. And that was completely contrary, again, to what Paul had indicated to them in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. Now, let me point out the deceitfulness of these reports by the false teachers. The deceitfulness of these reports by the false teachers. Look at what he says here in verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. What these false teachers were saying is this to the Christians. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul, in three different ways, is saying that the day of the Lord has already come, and you as Christians are in it? And Paul's doing it in three different ways. Number one, Paul 
where it says, by spirit, Paul is claiming that the Holy Spirit has moved upon him to cause him to give a divinely inspired prophetic utterance to the effect that the day of the Lord's already come and the church saints are in it. That Paul is claiming the Spirit of God enabled him as a prophet to give a divinely inspired prophetic utterance to that effect. Then the false teachers also said that Paul and his companions says here by word, they are going around orally teaching this now to people. Teaching this. The day of the Lord's already come. And you Christians are already in it. And then it says, or by letter as from us, these false teachers were saying, do you realize the Apostle Paul has also written a letter now to the effect that the day of the Lord's already come and you Christians are in it and therefore you're going to be subject to the wrath of God is the concept. Now, notice the deceitfulness of these false teachers. They knew that the Apostle Paul was the one who had been their major teacher about future events up to this point. And they knew that unless they could say that Paul is the one has changed his mind now in teaching this, these Thessalonians wouldn't believe it. And so these false teachers deceitfully said, Paul is claiming the Spirit of God has revealed to him and given a prophetic utterance to this effect. Paul's out there teaching this now to people. Paul's even written this, this whole concept into a letter. And that's why they were so shaken, because Paul's the one that led them to Christ, and Paul's the one who initially taught them future events, particularly through 1 Thessalonians. And so now they're really shaken up. Is this true? Is Paul now contradicting what he wrote to us in, in his first letter to us? That's why they were so disturbed. Now, what was the real issue at stake here in this disturbance? The real issue at stake here was the time of that coming of Christ to rapture the church, and therefore the relationship of church saints to the judgment phase of the future day of the Lord. That's the issue here. The time of Christ's coming to rapture the church out of the world, and therefore the relationship of church saints to the judgment phase of the day of the Lord. That's the issue here. Now, Paul in verse 3, in order to prove to them that what the false teachers have claimed was totally wrong, he gives them two lines of evidence to the effect that the future day of the Lord when God's wrath is poured out upon the world has not yet come, not yet come. Notice what he says to them in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Paul said, let me give you two lines of evidence to the effect that the future day of the Lord has not already come, and therefore God's wrath is not being poured out upon the earth right now. Two things must happen before that future day of the Lord begins here upon planet Earth, and God's wrath begins to be poured out upon people here upon planet Earth. And so he's pointing out here those two things have not yet taken place, and therefore the day of the Lord hasn't begun, because those two things must take place before the day of the Lord will begin. And he spells them out. Now, the first thing that he said must take place before the day of the Lord would begin is apostasy. Apostasy. 
Look at what he, what he says here again in uh, verse chapter 3. Let no man deceive you, verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's the first thing that must happen before the day of the Lord will begin upon planet earth. Now what does he mean by falling away? Well, the, the Greek word translated falling away is apostasia. Apostasia. We get our word apostasy from it. And that word uh, literally means rebellion and abandonment. Rebellion and abandonment. And he's saying uh, here apostasy involves rebellion against God's rule. Rebellion against God's rule and abandonment to lawlessness. That's what's involved in apostasy. A, a rebellion against God's rule and abandonment to lawlessness, to lawlessness. Now, let me make some significant observations about this term apostasy or apostasia. Greek scholars point out that the Greek text emphasizes the future point of time when this apostasy will begin. That's important to note. The Greek scholars point out that what, in light of what Paul is saying here, this apostasy is referring to a future point of time when that apostasy will begin, its beginning point in world history. Another thing to observe about it, which is very critical, is in the Greek text, the word apostasy has the definite article the in front of it. He says, the day of the Lord will not come until the apostasy has taken place first. The apostasy. Now that word the indicates this apostasy is going to be unique and distinct and different from past apostasies. You know, there have been many times of apostasy uh, ever since the fall of man. Many times of uh, individuals or some groups of people rebelling against God's rule or abandoning themselves to lawlessness, but they've never been worldwide at the same time. You might have some breaking out over here with a group of people, but not other places of the world. And then later on, another one breaks out over here with some other people, but not everywhere around the world at the same time. And the very fact that the word the is in front of apostasy says, this apostasy is going to be different from past apostasies in this respect. Since it is the apostasy, this is going to be a worldwide universal apostasy from its very beginning. From day one, this apostasy, once it takes place, will be worldwide, universal Rebellion against God's rule. Worldwide, universal, abandonment to lawlessness here upon planet Earth. Here upon planet Earth. The others in the past were limited to localities. They were not worldwide. They were not universal. But this one will be. Again, the Greek language is implying this. This will be worldwide universal apostasy from the very beginning when it first takes place. And Greek scholars point out this also indicates this apostasy 
It will, be, it will come suddenly. It's not developing over a process or a period of time. From the very instant it begins, it's sudden. It's not progressing slowly, surely, over a period of time. They also point out that it will be apostasy in the absolute sense from its very beginning. Apostasy in its absolute sense from its very beginning. Now, I looked up in Webster's Dictionary what's involved in the, in the term absolute. And three things were very revealing about this. When something is absolute, it is complete. It is complete. And this means, therefore, this total rebellion against God's rule will be total, complete abandonment to lawlessness and total, complete rebellion against God's rule from the very beginning. Another thing that's implied by the fact of absolute is it will be undiluted. In other words, from its very beginning, there'll be no mixing of obedience to God's rule and rejection of lawlessness mixed in with rebellion against rule and abandonment to lawlessness. It'll be complete rebellion against God, complete total lawlessness worldwide, universally, from day one when it begins here upon planet Earth. And Webster's Dictionary points out when something is absolute, it will be free from external restraint or limitations. It will be free from external restraint or limitations. In other words, when this apostasy begins, from its very beginning, there are no restraints against it. And there are no limitations upon it. There are no limitations upon it. Now, in light of these concepts, we have to ask the question, what possibly could trigger this to take place? When instantly the whole world is in rebellion against God, and instantly the whole world is sold out to complete lawlessness, no mixture of obedience to God, no mixture of being lawful in contrast with lawlessness, just suddenly, stroke of one moment, that's what happens in the world. What would trigger that? The rapture of the church. Who is gone from the earth when the rapture takes place? Every born-again saved person is removed from the earth. Everyone. There's not one true believer left upon planet earth when the rapture takes place. And so that means when the rapture takes place, instantly the whole world has unsaved people who are in rebellion against God's rule and are in total abandonment to lawlessness here upon planet Earth. And so it would appear that this apostasy will be the result of the rapture, the result of the rapture. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be alive on the Earth when that takes place. 
when that takes place. And, uh, and again, the Greek scholars point out this apostasy will take place first before the day of the Lord. God's wrath begins to be poured out upon planet Earth. And then something else has to take place before the day of the Lord begins, and that is the revelation of the man of sin. The revelation of the man of sin. And uh, Lord willing, when we get together on Wednesday morning, we're going to take a look at that and some implications of that. But I'd like for you, so that you get a better grasp of the day of the Lord, its judgment phase, go back, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I pointed out that in chapter 4, from verses 13 through the end of the chapter, the major subject was the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. When you come to chapter 5, verse 1, in the Greek text, Paul uses two words, and every time he uses that, he indicates, I'm now changing my subject. I'm no longer talking about what I just talked about earlier, namely the rapture of the church. I'm now changing my subject to something else. He says to the believers, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly, literally accurately, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night. What's he mean by that? How does a thief come in the night without warning? No thief worth his salt is going to send a forewarning to his intended victim. I'm going to break into your house such and such a night at such and such a time and rob you of everything you have. A thief depends upon surprise to catch its victim totally off guard. And what Paul is saying is, when that day of the Lord begins, it's going to catch the whole unsaved world totally off guard. They're not expecting anything like this at all. God's wrath being poured out upon them here upon planet Earth. He goes on to say here, verse 3, for when they shall say, and in the Greek it says, at the same time they are saying. Notice, there's going to be a contrast of, of pronouns here. They, when he's referring to unsaved people, and you or we when he's referring to believers. He says, for when they, the unsaved people shall say, peace and safety. At the same time, they're running around saying, we have peace, we have safety, finally in the world. Sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. They shall not escape. He's saying at the very time that the unsaved believe, we have finally established lasting peace here upon planet Earth. They're going to get just the opposite of what they are expecting, what they're thinking. That's when God is going to break in and start pouring out his wrath, the future day of the Lord, upon the unsaved people of the world. And he says here, as travail, literally in the Greek it says, as the birth pang, singular, of a woman. Going to be parallel to the, the birth pang of a woman. The means one particular birth pang, and the word birth pang in the Greek is singular. What birth pang of a woman is it that catches her off guard 
She doesn't know when it's going to happen. The first one. She knows there are going to be some, but she doesn't know exactly when that first one is going to hit her. And the implication is, once that happens, she knows there are going to be a lot more birth pangs after that. And eventually, the hard labor birth pangs are going to be after that. And what he's saying here is this. The future day of the Lord's wrath will be the first birth pang of God's wrath upon planet Earth. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to go through Old Testament scriptures, but it, it talks repeatedly about birth pangs, birth pangs suffering, birth pangs suffering. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 24, where he starts talking about the future day of the Lord, which begins with the tribulation period, talks about the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of birth pangs. You know, ancient rabbis, on the basis of the birth pang concept in the Old Testament, believed and taught that the last seven years before Messiah comes to administer God's rule upon planet Earth, those last seven years they called the birth pangs of the Messiah, the birth pangs of the Messiah. And their understanding was, in light of Old Testament scripture that God revealed through the prophets, that before Messiah comes to set up God's kingdom rule and finally bring lasting peace to the world, planet Earth is going to have to go through seven years of birth pang suffering before the new messianic age is born into the world, just as a woman has to go through a period of birth pang suffering before a new life is delivered into the world. That's the concept. And it carries with it the idea there's going to be pain, there's going to be agony. God's wrath, all of a sudden, without any pre-announcement to the unsaved world, they're not expecting it, is going to begin being poured out upon the unsaved people of the world for that seven-year period that we've come to call the tribulation period. In fact, even in Jeremiah 30, where it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, birth pain concept is, is there as well. That's going to be birth pain suffering even for the Jews, particularly during the second half of the tribulation period. As God is going to put them through a tremendous time of testing to break their rebellion and bring them to faith in their Messiah. In their Messiah. And this is why, when the Thessalonian Christians were told by the, the false prophets... Do you realize the day of the Lord has already begun and you're in it? They knew from what Paul was indicating here in 1 Thessalonians 5 of the first epistle, that's going to be a, a horrendous time for people upon planet Earth. No wonder they were so shaken in mind and so troubled with this. And the fact that the false teacher was saying, the apostle Paul is the one that's saying this now, it's already happened, disturbed them all the more. And so that's why Paul was writing 2 Thessalonians 2 to straighten them out and say, wait a minute. Didn't I tell you in 1 Thessalonians 5, God has not appointed us as church saints unto his wrath. The implication is we won't be here during that future day of the Lord's wrath. We'll be removed by rapture before it begins. And so therefore, hold on to what I taught you before. I'm writing to you to protect and defend that truth I gave to you in the first epistle. 
the first epistle to you, chapters 4 and chapter 5. And so, dear friend, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've taken him personally as your Savior from sin. Your blessed hope is to be removed from the earth by rapture with the Lord Jesus in the air before this future day of the Lord begins and God's wrath is poured out upon planet earth and instantly the whole world is apostate and rebellion against God and abandoned to lawlessness, but they're going to be receiving God's wrath poured out upon them in light of that rebellion and abandonment to lawlessness. God our Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that you've given to those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus. And we believe your scriptures teach that the coming of Christ to rapture the church of the world is imminent. It could take place at any moment. And we thank you, Lord, that when that happens, you will deliver your saints from planet Earth before you begin pouring out your wrathful judgment upon the unsaved people of the world. Thank you, Lord, for that. But cause these truths to put a burden upon us to warn unsaved people of what is ahead for them if they do not trust your Son as their Savior. For this we thank you and ask in his blessed name. Amen.